Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Jesus, we know that uh, Scripture says you are the Word of God. That you are the Word by which everything was created and that you hold everything together. So Jesus, I ask that you would create something new in us this morning. And that in whatever ways we feel like things are falling apart, that you would hold us together. That you would mold us and shape us this morning through, through your presence, through your word into our hearts and minds. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, I wanted to be like Mike. MJ in the air, MJ in the shoes, MJ drinking the Gatorade. And like a lot of kids in the 80s and 90s, I was drinking the Kool-Aid before I even knew what that meant. Nike told us that it might be the shoes But Gatorade told us really what we already knew, that we all wanted to be like Mike. I knew I wanted to be like Mike. So I would practice my turnaround jumper in the driveway and I'd let my tongue hang out and I would laugh at white men can't jump. And I just knew that my life was gonna be all about be like Mike. Michael Jordan was the idol, and Michael Jordan was the goal. And so every game-winning jumper I made in my imagination, every dribble I stole from the other team told me I was going to reach those heights, be like Mike. And as it turns out, Height is a really good word for everything that didn't happen. Uh, Human height, can get there. Vertical height, white men can't jump. Definitely did not get there. Uh, Work ethic height, did, did did not get there. So it turns out that my basketball highlight is a game winning shot I made for our eighth grade C team. And yes, we had an eighth grade C team and yes, That is the only way I actually got to play. Grateful for the eighth grade C team. Like Mike, I was cut from my high school basketball team my freshman year. And unlike Mike, the ensuing growth spurt was not matched by talent and work. And I learned how obsessed MJ became to become Mike. And because I wasn't willing to give it my life, my NBA dream had to die. What do you do when the person you've patterned your life after turns out to be so far beyond you? What do you do? What do you do when the example that you've set out before you 
turns out to be so far beyond any places you could reach or heights you could get to. And Jesus turns out to be a good case study for this. Jesus, who everybody who ascribes to believing in him and even most of those who do not would say lived a remarkable life. Jesus, who calls to us the same thing that he called to his very first disciples, his very first believers, he says, follow me. Well, that doesn't sound too complicated. Follow me. That feels doable. And then we start reading. (laughs) And reading about who Jesus is. I, I mean... Like when we picture Jesus as a little baby in a barn, we go, okay, that feels relatable. When we read about Jesus being God, God in the flesh, fully God and fully human, metaphorically speaking, at least full of the DNA of humanity and the DNA of heaven, and we go, whew, we, we read about Jesus healing people through a simple touch or a simple word or, or sometimes through doing weird things like rubbing mud on somebody's eyes and he seemed to know which one needed to happen, which time so that the right healing would happen. And we read about Jesus reading people's minds. He seems to know their, their thoughts and their motivations and I don't even know my own thoughts and motivations half the time, let alone all y'alls. And all of this seems so far beyond me, so far beyond what I feel at all capable of. In fact, uh, an early church leader, church planter named Paul, wrote a number of letters to churches he planted. And in one of those letters, it's now the book of Colossians in our New Testament, he writes about how Christ is supreme over everything, over everything so far beyond us. So I wanna look at Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love that picture. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. The visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of God for us. Whatever God would do and say, Jesus did and said. He is the picture of God for us in human form. 
Now, for some of you, this phrase, the image of God, is gonna sound familiar, maybe for a lot of you. And to connect this dot, we have to go all the way back to page one of scripture, where God is creating the world and he separates land from the sky and the land from the sea and he makes creatures and plants and all things to fill that. And then he comes to creating humanity, to creating us. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So first of all, let us. This touches on a Christian theological concept called the Trinity that some of you may be familiar with and some of you may hope to avoid because it's kind of, it feels weird or complicated. It's the belief of this, that there is God the Father, God the Creator, there is Jesus Christ, God in, in human form, and there is God's Holy Spirit, the presence and power of God that, that when Jesus was teaching on earth, he said this Holy Spirit is, is coming to be God's presence and power among you, among those of you who follow me. And we don't think there are, are three gods sitting up there. We believe there is one God that is these three persons, the Father and Creator, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and God's spirit. From the very beginning, as it said in Colossians, Jesus was there from before the beginning, that he was part of creation, that when it came time for God to make humanity, he said to himself, let us make human beings in our image. And if that feels kind of complex and, and strange and hard to wrap your mind around, that's because it, it is. And I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you, I've got my brain wrapped around this uh, really complex idea. But as we read through scripture, we read it is true that there is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of the verses we can look at is God here in creation saying, let us, let us make human beings in our image, that we are made in the image of God. We are made to be the image of God in this world. And that sounds really great and works really well all the way up from page one, all the way to page two. And then this image of God that we are supposed to be gets corrupted. Humanity is tempted and lied to. And the ironic part of the lie is that they're told, you really should be like God. And the ironic, horrible part is they already were. But instead of being okay with being like God in his image and his character, they wanted to be like God in his power and his wisdom. And so they reached for something that was not theirs to reach for, to try to be equal with God in power and wisdom. And the image of God that we are supposed to be became corrupted. 
And this corruption has carried down on through every generation to you and to me. The image of God that we're supposed to be is corrupted by this thing that we call sin. And before we're too hard on the first people who did this, how often do you and I wish that we could have more power or more control that we could be seen as wise and intelligent and important, that, that we could know what's coming, that we could have the power and wisdom of God. And so we reach for things that are not ours to reach for. This corruption is in us, this image of God that we're supposed to be corrupted. And you can think of this kind of like a corrupted hard drive. And I am not a tech expert, so I'm gonna do my best with this. But essentially... If you've ever had this horrible thing happen to your computer or phone or whatever, that the hard drive gets corrupted, essentially, you have two choices if your computer is going to do you any good. You can either pull out the old hard drive and put in a completely new one, or you can completely reformat it, essentially wiping everything that was good and bad off of it and trying again. Whichever option you choose, essentially, this corrupted hard drive, if anything is going to work the way it's supposed to, you need a new one. That, that hard drive in your computer needs a new life. We are the corrupted image of God, and the only way for that to be made right is for us to be given some sort of new life. And so almost immediately subsequent to humanity, reaching for what was not theirs to reach for and finding the image corrupted, almost immediately after that corruption, God promises that there will be a descendant of these human beings who will come and crush the one who tempted, crush the liar, and would give up his life to do that so that there could be new life for the corrupted image of God. He doesn't set a timetable on that. He sets humanity on its way, saying, well, you, you can no longer live forever because you're, you're corrupted and we can't have this corruption live forever. So there was a separation from the presence of God for humanity. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting for this one to come who will give up his life to crush the tempter, God sets up a system of human priests and sacrificial worship. And for us, the idea of animal sacrifices or even grain sacrifices or incense sacrifices, all this sounds really weird and foreign and ancient to us, and that's because it is. But it serves some really important purposes. So there were these human priests who were uh, appointed by their lineage, basically. God said, we're starting with this guy and then all of his children will be the priests. And this group of people will, will be the priests who represent the people. He said, you're gonna build a, a building, a, a tabernacle. And he gave them really specific instructions so that they would uh, build it in the right way for this system that we're setting up. And he said, in this tabernacle, 
the priests who represent the people are going to come into my presence. My presence, God said, will be in this tabernacle and the priests will walk into it. They will represent the people in the presence of God. And there will be these sacrifices offered. And part of this agreement was, was these sacrifices. Sacrifices that God said, if you do these things, I will overlook your corruption and I will continue to be your God and you will continue to be my people. But these sacrifices were also intended to remind the people of the corruption. That as they looked around at the world, as they looked around at each other and the ways that they hurt one another, as they looked at the other people groups around them and the ways that they were hurting others, that there is this reminder that this is not how it's supposed to be. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that the stuff we see going on around us, this is not what was intended. This is not how it's supposed to be. There is a corruption in the image of God and we do not treat each other as God does. And so these sacrifices were made. They gave their very best or their very first animals, grain, whatever it may be, as a reminder to be reminded that there is a corruption in the image of God and this is not how it's supposed to be. And yet, even this system of priests gets messed up because of our corrupted nature. Because the priests discovered that they could use representing the people as a power play because they realized that they could make this work out for them, that they could be seen as really wise and important. And in the corruption and the selfishness, they reached for more power and more wisdom than was theirs to reach for, still trying to be equal to God in power and wisdom. And so we need a solution. We need a new priest and a new sacrifice. So I actually wanna fast forward in scripture all the way to the other side of Jesus. After Jesus has lived and died and been raised from the dead, there's a, a church thought leader who wrote to the early Christian church in a letter that we now call the book of Hebrews. And he wrote about, in, in chapter eight, the author writes about Jesus being our high priest. That Jesus is the image of God, but Jesus is also our high priest. Here's, here's what they write. Hebrews 8.1, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Rather than going into the presence of God in something we constructed and created, he is in the presence of God in the heavenly tabernacle. It says, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. So then the question becomes, what is that offering? What gets sacrificed by this high priest? 
by this one who could claim all the power and authority, not only of the priesthood, but the power and authority and wisdom of God, what would this high priest sacrifice? Before Jesus was on earth, before the Christmas story and the crucifixion story and the Easter resurrection, a man named Isaiah was given a vision of this coming savior and who he was gonna be, what he was gonna do to crush the head of the tempter and bring new life to the people. Isaiah chapter 53, I'll start in the middle of verse two. And it reads this way. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my own people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. Jesus is the image of, of God. He is the high priest and he is the sacrifice. He gave himself. And it was in giving himself that he crushed the liar and gave new life to the people. And all of this feels so far beyond what I feel capable of. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna point any fingers, but I'm willing to say all of us are a corrupted version of the image of God. We are not perfect. We're clearly not seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And we are not being asked to die for the whole world. What then are we to do? 
if we're going to say things like we want to grow in Christ-like character, which we believe is absolutely crucial to what God is calling us to do, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to grow in Christ-like character, how do we do that when all of this feels so far beyond us? How could God ask that of us? And yet, the words of Genesis 1 are still true. You are the image of God. You have been made in the image of God. Is it corrupted by sin? Yes. And yet this is part of why Jesus came. A historical church thought leader and theologian named Athanasius talks about Jesus coming to be the image of God. And I am very, very much paraphrasing here. But he talks about how because we are the corrupted image of God, what we needed, part of what we needed was someone to come and show us what it's supposed to look like to be the image of God. And so Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life, the perfect example of what it means to be the visible image of the invisible God that this is our example to follow. That part of his ministry was teaching us about what it means to be the image of God because that is also who we are to be. And because of his then death and resurrection, because of the new life we're given, Jesus talked about when he was teaching, he talked about how his followers needed to be born again needs to be reborn. And we are reborn. We are given this new life because of his sacrifice for us. And in this being given a new life, new life coming from him, we become the descendants that Isaiah talked about. The descendants given to him because of his sacrifice, because we are born again of him. And the New Testament talks about how we are, through Jesus, adopted into God's family, that through the work of the Son of Jesus, we are also made children of God, adopted by God the Father, adopted by the King of the universe. And if that doesn't blow us away, we've probably heard it too many times. We are born again of Jesus. We are adopted into God's family to be his children, his brothers, and to be brothers and sisters, to be the sons and daughters of God. And here's the consequences of that as, as laid out for us by a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's first followers and he's the one who Jesus appointed to lead the church. After Jesus's death and resurrection from the dead, he spent some time with his disciples and in that time before he ascended to sit at the right hand of God and be the high priest in heaven, he commissioned Peter. He said, Peter, I, I want you to lead my church. And so Peter went out and he led the church imperfectly as a corrupted image of God, but he led the church. And we have a couple of his letters to the church preserved right near the end of the New Testament. And this is in the first one. It's 1 Peter chapter two. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses from it. 
In verse five, he says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And then for a couple of verses, he talks about those who don't, who trip over this story. And then in verse nine, he says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You and I are a royal priesthood because we are children of the king, because we are descendants of the priest. We are part of this royal priesthood that God sets up to reflect his image into the world, to be light, to be the goodness of God, to demonstrate the goodness of God like light in the darkness of our world. But how do we do that when we are still Corrupted image of God. I think so many of us run into a situation where we want to do the right thing and we want to follow Jesus and yet it feels like there's no way God would be working through me because I am just too messed up. Because of the things I've done in my past or the things I want to do now or in the future, there's no way that God could actually be calling me to be light in the darkness, calling me to be part of this royal priesthood? How do I show off the goodness of God when I am so messed up? I wanna take us back to Colossians chapter one and, and read this whole hymn or poem from the early church to us. about the beauty of our example, about what he's done for us and what he invites us into. So again, we start in Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church of you and me, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He has made peace with you. Despite the corruption, despite the imperfections you may feel, despite the hurts you may have caused to others, he has made peace with you. You 
are the image of God, the royal priesthood, and you are forgiven. Whatever you may have done, whatever you feel like holds you back, you need to know that you are forgiven, that through Christ's blood on a cross, we all have the opportunity to be forgiven. Forgiveness is offered through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so for all of us who have said, and for any of you who want to say, Jesus, I am in need of forgiveness. Anyone who accepts that gift offered to us, to be forgiven of the corruption we know is in us. God has made peace with us, made peace with you. And part of our occupation as a royal priesthood is to demonstrate and remind people of the goodness of God, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And part of that is we remind each other through our testimony, through our stories of what God has done for us, of of knowing our own corruption and yet that we are forgiven because Jesus sacrificed himself in love for us. And we remind one another of what he's done. And one of the ways that we do that and have for the entire existence of the church is something we call communion, where we take some bread and wine, or in our case, a wafer and some juice. And we remember together what God has done. Remember his goodness, remember his forgiveness of us. So let's let's take and remember together. Communion shares a root with the word community for a reason. We do this together. We remember together what God has done. And we commune with God because he has made peace with us. This bread represents Jesus's body broken for us. His body broken as our souls have been broken and corrupted broken so that we could have peace with God. So let us eat and remember the peace he has given us together. This juice represents the blood through which we are forgiven. Represents Jesus's offer of forgiveness for us. That as Isaiah predicted, he was whipped and beaten and blood flowed from him. His skin was pierced as he was nailed to a cross, sacrificing himself for us so that you and I may be forgiven. Let's drink and remember our forgiveness together. One more thing that is true of us. And it goes back to what we were talking about when we were first talking about Jesus, that his word to us, his invitation to us is the same as his invitation to his first disciples. He says, come and follow me. You are invited to follow. We 
are called to follow, to follow Jesus, to follow him as our example of what it means to be the image of God, to follow our high priest into the presence of God in worship, to follow our savior to the cross, to lay down our lives in love for those around us, not as a duty or a burden, but because we too want to see the world be at peace with God. We want the world to know that God has made peace, that forgiveness is offered, that this is not how it's supposed to be and we know it, but God through the blood of Jesus has made peace with us. And there is goodness of God to show to the world goodness that is like light in the darkness. So we follow his example. We follow him in worship. We lay down our lives so that the world can also be at peace with God. And we're gonna pick it up there next week. So as the worship team comes up, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for being the example that we needed. Thank you for demonstrating for us what it looks like to be the image of God. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your forgiveness of us through Jesus. Spirit, would you stir in us the strength and the courage needed to follow the example of Jesus and be the image of God, be the royal priesthood, be the ones that you have made us to be. Would you give us the courage to lay down our lives in love for the people around us so that they would know your goodness and your peace. We pray in Jesus' holy and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.